Hello, Jordan. Hey, Rob. Uh, how's it going? What are you, what are you up to? Uh, you just watching the news. What are you doing? Yeah. I'm just clicking around. Um, I saw this really cool hat online yeah. yesterday. It was, a, it was a Michael Bloomberg hat that said, bring on the boss. So oh, I wanted to pick cool. one of those up. I can't seem to find the link where it was. It was tweeted and then it's not, doesn't seem to be there anymore. Cause I was thinking that I want to have one of those hats and I'm, I'm sure that's going to really catch on with people because who doesn't just love their boss so right. much. I mean, they want that slogan on a hat. Right. It's probably sold out. I mean, that's like a supreme drop. <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, that's cool. t- that's tapping into something that I think a lot of people feel it's when they when they just when they want to walk around and just letting everyone know mm-hmm. that they just love uh people just telling them what to do right. and just like yelling at them. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that reminds stuff. me. That reminds me of another hat that I have. It says uh Okay. I eat lunch at my desk because I want to be as productive as possible. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I just, uh, it, it reminds me of a t-shirt that I also have that says, I like to just eat boots. They're delicious. Oh, that's cool. I just that's like really to cool. take big bites out of them. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool, I just, man. I enjoy it. Yeah. I enjoy that, so doing that. I was on the Bloomberg store the other day. Um, and I, obviously everything is like selling out like crazy because it's just the hottest merch around. I mean, this, this guy's got like so much fucking drip on this campaign. Um, yeah. but I did see a hoodie, uh, that I got. Um, and luckily, I mean, just, I must've got the last one cause they were selling out so fast. It just says, uh, I asked my boss to not have weekends off. And it's like, that is the kind of mentality. <laughs> that's the mentality that we need as Americans to be productive yeah. in the 21st century. Yeah, that's the elusive Bloomberg swing voter that they're going to appeal mm-hmm. to. Yep, uh, with that kind of stuff. The kid, the kids who um, wore like suits in college, uh, and just yeah, wanted. <laughs> yes, we need that crucial demographic. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Well, welcome to the Insurgents, everybody. It's episode six. Uh, you heard it's Rob or So here. Hey, Rob. We're still we're still struggling with this, are we? <laughs> yes. Wow. Hey, I mean, I thought it was already decided, but hey, I'm Jordan. Yule. And that's. And that is Jordan Yule, so we're we're happy to be back. The Bloomberg thing is funny. I mean, it's just funny to joke around about this because I just think about the amount of money that he's spent on this big this big glossy social media campaign, mm-hmm. and what the result has been. Where it's just like it seems like they keep putting stuff out. There's hundreds and hundreds of comments under each post highlighting his alleged connection to prominent uh, underage sex traffickers. His many, many uh, instances of being accused of sexual harassment, mm-hmm. his open embrace of like racial profiling, uh, that's all under there. Um, everyone's just kind of making fun of everything that he does, and they're just kind of deleting it. They just keep doing these tweets, and everyone makes fun of them, and they delete them, like the hat thing that we're mentioning. And I'm like, oh, well, that's, a, that's an interesting social media strategy from the Bloomberg team that probably you know is costing like a hundred million fucking dollars. I don't understand. Uh, and I, you got to imagine that's that the Bloomberg is like a big cost benefit analysis guy um, in, in probably many areas, if not all of his life. But it just seems like that is not applying here. Like they're just throwing as much money <laughs> yeah. as possible and thinking it's going to work. I would just love if he loses like five billion on this. And sure, that's not going to hurt him much because most of this is just like interest for him. But like it's it would be just so funny to see a spectacular failure after just 
just lighting a pile of cash on fire. Couldn't happen to a worse person. Well, it would be it would be even better if he lit the cash on fire to stop Bernie, and then Bernie became president and instituted a <laughs> high top marginal tax rate and a wealth tax. Oh, that sick. would be funny. That would be very funny. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Would love it. Yeah. That, well, that's so it. we shouldn't, I'm, we shouldn't I'm ramble on too long about here. Uh, we've got Hassan Piker coming on the show in just a little bit, and we talked for quite a while. We had a pretty you, once you get Hassan going, it's kind of hard to to shut him up. So he's a he's a chatty guy. Long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, subscribe to theinsurgents.substack.com if you want all this great content delivered to your uh, email inbox along with the newsletter and whatever other cool stuff we do in the future. Uh, subscribe over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, podcast reviews? Yeah, mostly okay. They're coming along. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got some good ones. I tweet, I was looking at them last night and... You know, some good, some bad. I, I like the ones that uh, talk about how good the show is and how they're thankful Ken is suspended or banned. Um, other ones, you know, defending Ken, maybe maybe less of that in the iTunes reviews, but hey, pick your poison, I guess. Yeah, and I saw one the other day that was that came in last night. That was a one-star review. No uh, way. It says, Pooh Boy, and Ken is not welcome here. So don't do that. No, De- like we're joking. Us- we like to joke around here, but don't do- don't give us a fucking one star review. <laughs> Come on, that's cruel. I mean, if you want to be part of the riff, okay, yeah, yeah. sure, please. Let's what? not take it to that <laughs> one star. Where did you see that? On iTunes? It was a yeah, yeah. That's mean. <laughs> I know from Jeffrey Dunham, the uh, the uh, ventriloquist. Jeff, please reconsider. Yeah, come on. Come on, Jeff. That's so funny. Get it together. <laughs> I mean, that's bad. Don't do that. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, don't, 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 don't leave us one, one star reviews as a bit. Please, please do not do that. <laughs> don't do that, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're going to be back in just one minute with Hassan Piker. Later is difficult for me because I'm I'm old as fuck and I'm su- at like ten. Oh no no no! Hours. Later meaning like in like I thought one p.m. Eastern, which is three p.m. I mean now four p.m. your time. I, I, I thought one p.m. Pacific, four p.m. your time would be like reasonable. Uh, is that not? For, I we I got I stuff. Know. I have stuff anyway. Well, we, we can't do it anyway. I, we're I'm here. <laughs> we're here. I'm, we're here. I'm just that's why I was like uh, in a rush to to get started. Well, we can get started. We're happy. Hey, I here. was trying to give you time to, you know, maybe prepare a little bit. But if you want to just go, just fuck it, we'll do it live. We can do that. <laughs> Rob, We're experienced Rob, I, I, broadcast I talk about, journalists here. I talk about politics for eight to ten hours every single day. <laughs> I'm most likely going to be knowledgeable on what we're talking about, whatever it is. Or, and, yeah. and you guys are, are super smart. So you're going to you're going to carry it. regardless. Hey, <laughs> well, flattery will get you everywhere, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Now we're really happy you're here. <laughs> Yeah, now we're that, actually happy. Yeah. <laughs> that seems exhausting, though, talking eight hours a day. So you have this Twitch channel, and you t- you kind of uh, shape the minds of the youth. Is that what's up? 
Yeah, that's that's exactly what it, what is up. As you know as well, Jordan and, and Rob, you've been on as well. But uh, yeah, uh, Jordan loves the community uh, a little too much. It's so, it's so dope, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's great. They're politically active. They're super politically active. It's international. They're mostly Zoomers. They they have perfected mimetics from being born on the internet. You know what I mean? Like. Mm-hmm. It's it's very different than the Young Turks's audience, and it's very different than the audience that I had before I got on Twitch. To be perfectly honest, like uh, yeah. what the audience that I have and my current audience also calls them uh, this word as well. They're they're normies. They they would be called <laughs> yeah. normies. They're not super knowledgeable on like internet meme culture. They don't. They haven't been brain poisoned by irony and and uh, you know just Reddit threads and. And that's an, that's a significant shift of the Overton window as well, because 10 years ago, the TYT viewers, they were the edgy internet millennials who were, were familiar with all that stuff. And now they're the normies. So that means that that means we're making progress here. Yeah. Yeah. My, well, my audience is more Zoomers versus TYT is definitely older millennials now, for sure. Like, I mean, they call themselves the Young Turks, but Jank is like, what, 50? I should know that he's yeah. my uncle, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a bad, I'm a fail nephew, as, uh, as Felix would call it. That's great. Well, that's that's awesome. I like. I always I always get so happy when I hear from Zoomers that pay attention to what I have to say. I know it's not quite the same level of uh, of audience, but whenever I do, it always I'm always very pleased because we need those Zoomers. We need those Zoomers on our side. We absolutely do. Um, yeah. I think another reason why they're so uh, another why, reason why they're so activated is also because of Bernie Sanders, though. I mean, yeah. I, I can't take all the credit, obviously. It's, it's mostly him. Uh, we finally have a, a conduit to express our frustration with the establishment. And, and this is, is the establishment on both sides, not just the Republican establishment, but definitely the Democratic establishment as well. Now we are finally able to uh, express our frustrations and make demands through this uh, perfect conduit that is Bernie Sanders. Well, that, also- that's an interesting, that, it's interesting you bring that up too, because that's something that I, I notice sometime too, when you, you encounter these kind of, these extremely online, like, uh, you know, radical socialist types who kind of try to dismiss the Sanders movement because, you know, he's not a perfect anti-imperialist and he's got these, these uh, reactionary tendencies maybe, or he's got these kinds of revisionist views on things and no you know you shouldn't be volunteering for the bernie sanders campaign you should be you'd be down at your local food shelter and to, and not that there's anything obviously it's good to like volunteer in your community Rob also. coming out strong against food shelters okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. no, i'm famously against those no but you know what i mean just like i think framing sanders like that is a mistake because you can see how he has radicalized a whole generation of people and younger generation. Like you see the difference in, in the political activism of the young people between uh, his kind of half-assed campaign of 2016 and the movement that he was able to build from that. And now this, uh, this time around, he's got this hugely well-financed machine that's just really reaching so many people. And yeah. I think like, I get really excited when I think about what that's going to mean for America and, and the future five ten years from now you know whereas you know I, so i don't think i don't really agree with like the really the the true radicals who kind of dismiss it because i think overall the the positive effect he's having on on radicalization of, of young people is is way better than anything we would have if we if we didn't have a, a, a kind of a mainstream movement like this going on yeah it's also not just bernie sanders either that's radicalizing people i think 
uh, the material conditions are radicalized. Yes. Evil. Uh, that's, that's why you see this big distinction between Elizabeth Warren fans, even, uh, who I would regard as like the closest, I guess, ideologically, even though voters don't really vote based on ideology, uh, to the Sanders camp. Uh, and, and the significant differences that you see with their grievances or with the way that they regard their candidate and why they want to vote for Elizabeth Warren. And, and you realize like, oh, a lot of these people, they are genuinely well-intentioned liberals who are probably on the more progressive side of things, but they're not very poor. Uh, they're not, they haven't seen uh, yeah. suffering. They haven't really even experienced uh, suffering happening in their vicinity. Now, obviously, that's a that's a broad brush to paint any campaign with. Obvi- I don't I don't think that well the polling would back warrant- that up though. Well, there's there's data that backs this up as well, certainly. But what I mean by that is like I don't want some random person who listens to your podcast angrily to furiously tweet at me and be like I'm a you know like uh, I I make. 12 cents an hour. How dare you? I'm supporting Elizabeth Warren. Like, because it always happens. Um, no, I just, I just meant that like they're the way that they love Elizabeth Warren or the way, the reasons why they promote Elizabeth Warren over Bernie Sanders. And I've talked to a lot of these people on the internet, especially is oftentimes because they like her nature. They like the way that she presents her opinions. They want her to be their accountant. They want her to be <laughs> their mother. They want her to be their substitute teacher and Guidance their counselor. boss. Yeah, like, and, and these are all, I mean, this is anecdotal, but these are all the very extremely online progressive uh, Warren stands. Uh, whereas I, I oftentimes see like on, on the Bernie side, it's like, well, my boyfriend died. I used to hate Bernie Sanders. And then my boyfriend died <laughs> because he didn't have enough money for insulin. And now I'm pro Bernie Sanders or my son died. And, uh, the insurance company uh, took out, uh, the insurance company had access to our, uh, our, uh, lawsuit payments before we did. And then the hospital put a lien on my house. And that's why I'm voting for Bernie Sanders because I want Medicare for all. Like that's, I think that is the real true radicalizing factor for a lot of people, I believe. Um, and that's part of the reason yeah. why they're, they're interested in Bernie. And it really shouldn't even be that radical. Like these concepts are not radical because they're welcomed and celebrated around the world. Like we're the radical ones here for, for making you <laughs> yes. pay like several thousand dollars before you could actually get decent medical care. Uh, we're the radical ones for thinking that oh, yeah. children need to choose between going into debt or going hungry at schools. Like this is these are bizarre concepts to everyone else. And when you, when people on Twitter, like you you mentioned it earlier, uh, this this uh, um, the the way they talk about Warren, like uh, I'm voting for Warren because she will remember my kids' favorite colors. It's just like what the what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? We're not we're not electing a nanny. We're electing a president. Like this that's she is yeah. personable and I have heard those anecdotes about her from people that I worked with years ago that had worked with her in the past at like Harvard Law and stuff. But like that's that's great, but that doesn't mean you're going to roll out an effective policy proposal. That doesn't mean you're going to be an effective leader. That doesn't mean you're going to not abandon the working class. And this is something I'm deeply concerned about, especially as it relates to her superdelegate strategy. If she gets into the convention and she hobbles into the convention without a substantial amount of delegates and it goes to a second ballot and she makes the case to superdelegates, these are wealthy, mostly wealthy, uh, but but politically connected people, that she's the best case and they pick her, 
I'm certain, just because this is how politics works, they are going to want something in return. There's going to be so much power in those superdelegates. The, the, they are going to be the power brokers of the next tenure. So they're, if they if they get to handpick the, the president, at what point do we start to question her committedness to working class issues? And that's why I am deeply concerned about her strategy to go into the convention and, and argue for a brokered convention. Well, in what universe are people living where they think this is even a possibility that's going to happen? I feel like this is, there's a 0% chance that in that situation, Warren is going to be selected as the unity candidate. I just don't, no, I, I, I think don't think she has any credibility. Scenario. I don't think there's any reason to believe that that would ever even come close to happening. Uh, so I agree with you that it's like the off chance. It's definitely not the immediate uh, thing that uh, comes to mind. Like it's not the most likely scenario, but I do see a scenario in which Elizabeth Warren ends up securing um not securing the nomination but like has the rest of the moderates end up backing her i mean it's super super far out but the um the way in which they would go about this is they know that an overwhelming amount of bernie sanders supporters are bernie or bust uh it, it is much higher than any other campaign i don't have a problem with this i know a lot of people have uh, a lot of brilliant people that i uh, admire like noam chomsky have a problem with this mentality I personally do not because I, I view it from the point of view of I, I view it from the point of view of um, uh, like uh, the prisoner's dilemma. Right. Like I, I think that in the primaries it's absolutely reasonable position to hold, uh, especially because it gives you more leverage and uh, and, you know, it, it forces people who claim that they only care about Bernie from the point of view of electability to uh realize that maybe there is more to it than just electability because if it was just electability you would vote for uh bernie understanding that a big chunk of his uh fan base is not going to vote for anyone else right well this is this is just the deal that the democratic party has been making with people on the left for generations just hold your nose and vote for someone that you don't like yeah and that, that's we're just making we're just setting the terms so, and it's just it's just a way for people to kind of take that that advantage back that they've never had in the, a long history exactly. of kind of uh, exactly. electoral this politics. This is how you negotiate. This is how you collectively bargain. I mean, it's a, it's a it's ironically also a big part of Bernie Sanders' uh, opinions on labor organizing and how he, he chooses how he wants to potentially push for this these sorts of uh, um, moderate social democratic uh, reforms in his uh, comprehensive legislative agenda. This is how he's going to do it: apply pressure when it looks uncomfortable but americans of course are 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 so far removed from any sort of labor militancy or any sort of labor mo movement that um you see people on the left even saying stuff like well you know if you're a disabled person like your 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 strike is actually hurting us or you know your strikes are actually hurting uh you know black people this way or whatever whatever without uh, realizing that like you know the people that are striking in that labor union sometimes are disabled and black um it's just that we've we've completely gotten out of touch with any sort of collective bargaining uh, at, at this stage that um, I think this kind of action is is terrifying for a lot of people. Um, but the point I was going to make is because they realize that Bernie Sanders is uh, uh, Bernie Sanders is a very passionate base of support. Um, this could potentially be seen uh, as a concession like Elizabeth Warren would be seen as a concession uh, from the establishment to be like, listen, here. We're giving you Elizabeth Warren. We weren't too fond of her either. And, uh, you know, you, you got to vote for her, right? Is might be, that might be their mentality. I don't know. That's the only way that I see. Um, that's the only way that I see anyone making a, uh, making any sort of like uh, leeway in the, in the Warren conversation and getting her 
to become the nominee when she has zero pathway to victory outside of that. Yeah, and I'm sure, definitely, I'm sure all the the several million people that have voted for Sanders at that point to give him this hypothetical lead uh, to deliver him these big victories in California elsewhere. I'm sure they're going to just be totally okay with with the, being told from the Democratic Party. No, actually, uh, it's not going to be this guy. It's going to be this this person who, because of her actions over the course of this primary, you do not trust and don't like. I'm sure that's just going to go over really well with everybody. Yeah, but they don't realize that. They don't really have a lot of foresight. After, after all, think about where we're at right now. Think about the MSNBC and CNN collective meltdown that we are experiencing as Bernie Sanders um, clutched his way through all three of the uh, first primaries and caucuses. So... Obviously, foresight is not their forte. Yeah. In any way, I just, <laughs> I just think, hindsight. you know, it's fun, to, it's fun to speculate about, but I think a lot of this talk of, of contested conventions and these kind of like Hail Mary plays that they're talking about, I just think it's pure desperation from people that are oh, losing absolutely. their grip on power. I don't think it's going to get to that point. And uh, I think Bernie's going to clinch the nomination before that. Oh, I, I don't I don't agree with that. I OK, well, let me let me uh, enter in with my famous. Uh, I call it realism, but uh, or cautious optimism. But everyone says is uh, pessimism. So let me just come in real quick with that. Uh, I don't know if this is something that you guys were interested in talking about, but I speculate that uh, Bernie Sanders is not going to win the majority of delegates, and that uh, and that ultimately in the uh, second round of voting, the Democratic Party will not budge and openly show to the rest of the world that uh, they are more terrified of Bernie Sanders than they are of Donald Trump. And that's understandable if you uh, apply a, a materialist analysis to the situation when you realize that Donald Trump's presidency does not harm um, their material circumstances, whereas Bernie Sanders' might uh, change their situation a little bit. And it definitely will change their established grip on power in the Democratic Party. And therefore, they will uh, uh, do everything they can and perhaps successfully so uh, elect a much or uh, put up a much uh, weaker candidate against Donald Trump. That's my that's my uh, that's that's my speculation. I hope I'm wrong, but that's what I'm foreseeing at this moment. Does that bum everybody out? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'd like I, to see them I, try. I, I would like I'm, to see them try. I think that's going to fracture, like permanently fracture the party. And of just course like, it will. And I don't, I, I don't know how. I mean, they're inept, <laughs> but I don't know if they're that stupid. Um, I would hope they're not, but I I. I I don't know. I do also, I share Rob's optimism. I think that like the polls coming out of California, it looks like only one candidate, I can't remember who, but only one candidate is teetering on the edge of viability. And there's a good chance that Sanders takes all of those delegates. He's looking good in Texas. I just saw a poll out of Wisconsin. He's looking really strong there. And before you got on, we saw a poll where he, he, uh, Sanders is the only one that beats Trump in Pennsylvania. Um, you would, I mean, again, it comes down to power. It's like, are they willing to look at this rationally um, and and say, okay, yeah, this is the guy, or is it going to be a power play by, like, the Democratic elite? And I, I do see, I can see it going both ways. Maybe I'm just, I got my rosy glasses on because I, I've been in it so long, but, like, man, I, I, I think it would just be suicidal if they, if they, if they just fucked over Sanders, especially after Super Tuesday, and he emerges with a huge lead. So I think we should reassess in like five days. Um, yeah, definitely. My my analysis at this point is simply predicated on uh, looking at past data uh, readily available to us. Uh, as Dave Weigel also pointed out on, on how much uh, polling 
underestimates uh, the boomer black vote in South Carolina, uh, my which is why I think that Joe Biden is going to win South Carolina. And then uh, they will act like uh, the, the media will act like in the next two days, in the following two days, that like Joe Biden definitely did win. And, you know, it's a comeback. Don't call it a comeback. Um, and, and despite the fact that he has almost he has zero ground game in the Super Tuesday states, I think that he will uh, potentially pick up a significant amount of delegates, so much so that uh, that it will at least make it a contested uh, race. It, it won't be a, a wide enough margin um, in the aftermath of that, especially with the media coverage and with the with potential uh, funders coming back into his campaign depending on how big the margin of victory is and depending on how well he does on Super Tuesday. That's my analysis with the worst case scenario. Best case scenario, or no, I, I can't even get into the best case scenario. Bernie Sanders wins South Carolina. It's a wrap. It's over. Uh, in which case he has the most realistic, realistic opportunity at even uh, winning the majority uh, and not just the plurality of delegates. So um, so yeah, there's, there's numerous outcomes here and I think everything will change once we have more results from uh, South Carolina and then Super Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, what is it? What is it? Uh, pessimism of the spirit, optimism of the will. Come on, Hassan. Hop, optimism of the will. Yeah. You got to have. Well, it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm busting <laughs> my ass out here. I, I, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to help out. Uh, I, I'm putting my body on the line, getting coronavirus most likely this weekend. Yeah. We're, we're, we're about to find out if that happens in Boston. Um, and, and uh, so is Jordan as well, which is awesome. And you guys too. <laughs> Like everyone, everyone in our, in our little group chats yeah. and it's great. I'm doing a, I'm doing a Tokyo Rose up, uh, from, from up here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're doing, you're doing your famous, uh, Rob, uh, Canadian foreign interference. Yes, that's correct. Speaking of foreign interference, actually, I don't want to take over this conversation too much, but did you guys see the, the uh, BJP politician who responded to Bernie Sanders last night? It really didn't make a lot of leeway in the news, but I yeah. thought that was really remarkable. Uh, could yeah. you could you explain it for the the listeners? Um, so wait, let me see if there's an article that I can pull up really quickly. But um, well, for, first Sanders of all, it's important to point out that what's happening in India right now is like the definitionally fascist violence. Oh, yeah. uh, basically, pogroms being committed against Muslim citizens yeah, in Muslim India, genocide. encouraged by the state, encouraged by the police. It's really fucking terrifying. Uh, seeing it continue to happen, and Bernie really had the only statement out of any presidential candidate that even came close to acknowledging this um, yeah which was really important and that's why he got the response that he did and bernie sanders said uh over 200 million muslims call india home widespread anti-muslim mob violence has killed at least 27 and injured many more trump responds by saying that's up to india this is a failure of leadership on human rights which is a great take um and then uh the response to that was from the national general secretary of india's ruling right-wing bjp party which is the fascist party over there uh they are the guys uh, who, who in recent years uh, even got uh, travel visa, uh, travel restrictions, if I'm not mistaken, by the Obama administration at some point. Isn't this correct? Um, for well, I know Modi himself, Modi. the fucking the leader of India, what had a travel restriction because of his role in a in a riot that killed many Muslim people in the early 2000s. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe it wasn't Obama. Sorry, Obama actually patched up the relationship. Uh, but uh, but regardless, so uh, the the uh, National General Secretary of India's ruling right wing BJP party wrote under Bernie Sanders. He was a reply guy to Bernie Sanders. He said, how much ever neutral we wish to be, you compel us to play a role in presidential elections. That's what Secretary B.L. Santor said in a since deleted tweet. 
adding, <laughs> sorry to say so, but you are compelling us. Uh, nefarious, incredible, uh, super brazen. I am sure that it won't get a lot of media coverage in mainstream media yeah. because it, uh, it showcases the real foreign interference or the real threats of foreign interference and not the manufactured consent that you can cultivate on uh, uh, like the Russia phobia uh, that you can weaponize against even candidates like Bernie Sanders now. Well, you also have APAC making statements about Bernie Sanders and funding anti-Sanders advertisements. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And kinda, and the yeah and uh, like the Israeli Twitter account literally saying like we are going to interfere in foreign politics pretty much <laughs> like we are going to interfere in American politics of course like yeah. come on it's a given that's never I mean it, it's mind boggling to me how much influence Saudi Arabia has on American politics how much influence uh, Israel has on not just American foreign politics but Israel also has influence on American domestic politics which is something that re uh, Republicans are supposedly so. Uh, are supposed to be so angry about freedom of speech. I mean, the BDS legislation, the anti-BDS legislation that they've been able to put forward in the United States is disgusting. It's an erosion of civil liberties. And I am shocked every day that more people are not uh, deeply frustrated by this, that like a foreign, uh, a body representing a foreign government can come in and be like, yeah, we're, we're just going to, uh, we're just going to unconstitutionally stop uh, civil disobedience and uh, that's, that's constitutionally afforded to you and stop your speech um yeah in the united states it's crazy yeah and just going back to india i don't want to like focus on india too much because i'm <laughs> i'm certainly not an expert in like indian politics or anything like that but just just seeing the basic sort of facts of what are happening there right now i think should really really terrify people when you see the connection between like online disinformation spreading via social media there that's leading to like uh persecution and murder of religious minorities and stuff like we're seeing like elements of that happening in america and we have over the last couple of years of the trump administration but that's like it's like a, a picture of where where possibly that road leads uh and it should fucking terrify you uh, if you if you're paying attention to what's happening there yeah um, it, it's, it's a direct parallel, uh, as Trump put it in clear terms. Uh, I, I love that these, uh, these fascists also mentioned that, uh, they care about religious freedom <laughs> while directly talking about genocide and committing genocide on Muslims while yeah. salivating uh, about that exclusively on the basis of their religious identity, their religious beliefs. It's, it's truly disgusting. Um, but yeah, we can we can move on from the India thing to yeah. maybe what Jordan was tweeting about. Uh, literally, as we were talking about India. Sorry that uh, foreign policy. Sorry that one of the most oh, is it uh, popular busted you, Jordan busted. No, it's not. I'm just. I don't know anything about it, so I'm not gonna. Not gonna one of the most populated countries opinion. in the world is not interesting to you, as they are committing genocide wow. on Muslims. That's fine, I guess. Um, all right. <laughs> I saw Hassan like my tweet. I got the notification. It's like, all right, fuck. All right. Yeah. yeah. This, is rookie, this is all yeah. Very cool. Very cool of you to also have that same energy that you showcase every night that you come on my stream on your own fucking podcast as well, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> You guys are going. I don't want to get in the middle of it. Yeah, but yeah. No, but some... honestly, like in all just in all seriousness, it's something that everyone should be watching and paying attention to. It's something I would like to cover more, but it would definitely require someone that's like more immersed in these conversations and who's more familiar with it that can help break it down. But definitely yeah. something. I mean, it's ongoing right now, so it's worth mentioning. But uh, something that that everyone should be paying attention to. 
Um, totally. The, the thing totally. that I wanted to bring up was because, you know, we were talking about uh, Bernie and the possible contested convention and all these possible like scenarios that might play out. And part of the reason we're talking about that right now is because there was that story in the New York Times today that came out like interviewing a bunch of people like in positions of power, yeah, like, which is what power in the Democratic out, yeah. Party. Basically just admitting that, no, we don't want to, we're not going to give him the nomination. We're going to figure out anything else. We're going to nominate uh, maybe Sherrod Brown or, or Michelle Obama. <laughs> just all these wacky ideas for like anything that they can do besides let Bernie uh, take control of the party. Uh, and I just thought it was so funny to me because I'm just remembering the meltdown from like literally, what was it, four days ago? Of Bernie Sanders sending out an email saying the establishment is against us. They can't stop us or something on that likes something yeah. along those lines. And all the people that said, oh, it's just like Trump. How can you say that? There's no there's no such thing as the Democratic establishment. This doesn't even exist. That's a that's a, a voters and activists that he's talking about. Disgraceful Trumpian language from Sanders. And then you have these dipshits just saying to the New York Times like, yeah, we're going to subvert the will of uh, all our voters. And we're thinking about all these different ideas. And yeah, it's just yeah. it's amazing. The cognitive dissonance between the people that were mad about the Sanders tweet and the people that are like, yeah, we got to, we got to entertain these, these ideas. I mean, they, uh, cognitive dissonance, uh, is really charitable. I think at this point, <laughs> yeah. um, I don't believe that. I mean, I think some people, especially voters are, are misinformed. They are, uh, socially conditioned into behaving in certain ways or having certain expectations in their politics. But, the professional liberal class or the whether it be the pundits or the wonks or uh the actual politicians or ngo uh leaders and leaders of PACs near tandon these people are i don't think these people have cognitive dissonance i think they are evil i, I think that they are evil why are they e no i i legitimately do you know my opinion on this i've talked about yeah. how much i hate dc uh, i think pound for pound it's the worst place on the planet uh there are some beautiful <laughs> people there as well obviously but it is uh, one of the most evil places on the planet. Not uh, it, no, it is the most evil place on the planet, actually, one hundred percent. But I think uh, it's nice. But I, I think that those people are. <laughs> I think that they are nefariously uh, putting forward this message. They're they're engaging in double speak on purpose, which yeah. is ironically much closer to fascist language and or fascist tactics than what Bernie Sanders is saying, which is that the establishment is definitely against me. Look at the facts. Um, yeah, I just but, I think when I'm when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking so much about the disingenuousness of that exact consultant class, the establishment class, but more the people like the brain poison people that whose minds have just been liquefied by too much NBC over the last five years. Oh yeah, it's, and and commenting online, it's more those people that I think hold cognitive dissonance. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, those with, people are still rather than the, the actual people that are in positions of power. So uh, those people, so I, I had a take on this uh, before uh, that I was going to mention with Elizabeth Warren and why they like Elizabeth Warren. So a lot of people in America have been so pushed out of, of having any sort of political voice that it does not seem realistic to them. So the only way that they feel like they're making a difference is by you know following the rat race, right? Following a, a palace intrigue and... and uh, the, the comings and goings of politics in almost like a reality TV-like fashion. This has also been accelerated by uh, cable news and the 24-hour broadcasting of news from the likes of CNN and, uh, and then also Fox News with opinion editors, uh, with op-ed uh, writers opining on uh, the news rather than uh, creating the news or, or doing investigative reporting. That's drastically changed the dynamic in America, I think. And 
these people feel as though politics is just about who you like. Uh, it's no different than the Republicans who vote for George W. Bush because they think that's a guy they can drink beer with. But uh, the elitist liberal side of yeah, things, it's all aesthetics. The elitist, they, it's aesthetics. It's all aesthetics. Exactly. On the elitist liberal side of things, they think they're smarter, but they're not. They are also voting against their self-interest for the most part, unless they are those professional liberals that we're speaking of. But the voters, they've been duped into thinking that politics is just a game when politics is not that at all. I don't want Bernie Sanders to be my dad. I don't want Bernie Sanders to be my friend. I want Bernie Sanders to be the leader of this nation because politics is not a game. It's I also wanted to be it, my dad and my friend, though. Okay, well, yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> I, I, I meme about that as well. But what I mean is <laughs> politics is a distribution of wealth, resources, power, and in certain, and in most circumstances, actually, violence. And this is how politics is done. This is what the main goal of politics is. This is the stated and unstated purpose of politics. But for some weird reason, liberals do not understand this. And they refuse to they refuse to acknowledge this. And that's why you see a lot of uh, well-intentioned liberals say stuff like, oh, you know, well, I like Bernie Sanders' ideas, but, you know, I kind of really like uh, Elizabeth Warren and her style. She'll really get it done. It's like, how will she get it done? Not a single one of these candidates, not a single one of these candidates outside of Bernie Sanders has actually put forward a realistic proposal in achieving any of their legislative agenda. N not a single one. They all talk about or shown an ability to build a huge movement, which you need in order yeah. to pass a, a, a yes. radical, more radical approach. Exactly. And that's what I mean. It's like the Republican Party is going to obstruct every step of the way. OK, no matter what happens, the Republican Party is going to obstruct every single step of the way. They did this with Barack Obama. We saw this experiment fail with uh, the the uh, coalition of of the greatest minds of this nation, which, uh, you know, of course included a, a whole bunch of Goldman Sachs executives and a whole bunch of lobbyists from the military industrial complex and not necessarily a lot of activists. Right. Um, it didn't, it didn't work out. Obama's legislative accomplishments were still significant, but it didn't go far enough, uh, specifically with the public option. So we should have learned from that lesson. We should have learned from that and, and realize that we need to do things differently. And Bernie Sanders is the only one who has the willingness to do things differently. And that, I think, is terrifying for a lot of people in the establishment. And, and, and that significant difference is why I love Bernie Sanders, why I want to vote for him, and why I'm uh, doing everything I can to get others to vote for him as well. It just, it's deeply frustrating, though, to see people uh, treat politics like it's just a game. What a lot of people don't realize is when Bernie talks about this democratic establishment, it is the overlap in social circles among all of these power players and power brokers in D.C. And you guys mentioned it's like one of the most evil cities. Sure. I think some of it is. Absolutely. Um, but like it's even like leadership positions at nonprofits uh, and how they and everyone kind of jumps around in this city. Right. So you, you work at the DNC for a year, then you work yeah. at cap and then you'll work here and there and you work on a campaign, you work at this department. And everyone has these connections. Everyone's got these webs all over the city. And sure, there's not like, it's not like a, um, a everyone gets in a, in a room and meets and decides, right? Which is the common refrain when people try to poke holes in this argument. It's not like that. It's not a unified body. But it is, it's the. It's like if I, you know, if, if Hassan and I know each other, right? And Hassan starts to like run for office, uh, and I've got all this dirt on Hassan, I'm probably less likely to dump it because we're buddies. It's just like these, it's like, it's the personal relationships that you build in DC that 
make you turn a blind eye to all this shit or make you more willing to support XYZ person because you know them and have known them and worked with them. Bernie has always been an outsider in DC because he's run on a far left platform his entire career. He's been an independent. And while he did caucus with the Democrats in, in Congress, his, his career to give them a, a one more body or one more person and one more vote. Uh, and that helps with committee control and stuff. But He's not part of that system. He's not going to the same cocktail parties yeah. with these multi-millionaire lobbyists and all that shit. Like everyone well, else was, in that's DC, that's why I was is. laughing when people were like, oh, "Bernie, uh, you're you're a senator. You're the establishment." And it's just like, "Come on, you do, they don't like, get it. That's you're not, not it. being serious. You can't right. be being serious." Right. <laughs> that's like saying Medea Benjamin of of Code Pink is the establishment because she's been in DC for years. Which no, it's obviously not the case. She is always going to be a dissenting voice on all of these different things. She's a profound, like well-known radical activist. But, like, it's the same type of argument. Like, she's not the yeah. establishment simply because she's been here. The establishment is people... You could be here for a year and already be in the establishment if you are in that social circle. Sir, Pete yeah. Buttigieg. Oh, absolutely. Pete Buttigieg absolutely. is the perfect example of exactly what you're talking about. Like, he... what what This guy, uh, out of nowhere, uh, it, it, who was the mayor of the fourth largest city in Indiana, the, the second, <laughs> not even the first, the, not even the largest college town. The second largest college <laughs> town in the fucking state of Indiana it runs for a DNC chair and yep. and loses like by a super wide margin. OK, and 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 now he's running for president. And as soon as he started to run for president out of nowhere, he has 45 billionaire donors. Uh, he is in meetings. I don't know if you guys remember. He was doing meetings the stop with Bernie the, meetings. Yeah, he was doing he was involved in the anti Bernie meetings. Mm, I mean, yeah. The the audacity of Pete is with is, near attendant and a lot of other stuff. Yeah, it, it's just it's shocking until unless un, you know it's shocking before you realize that oh no he's very much a part of that group of people or, or very much represents their interests rather. And one more one more thing I do want to point out, it's the, these social circles right and these these work affiliations and a lot of them have like contracts at different places like you'll have a consulting contract with the DNC you'll have another one with a super PAC and all these different things. They end up on TV giving you analysis. But what you don't see is the dinners that Hassan just yeah. talked about, the cocktail parties and the conversations there where they all share the same animus for outsiders because they're not part of the clique. And they know if someone comes in and wants to break up that system, the game is over for them. So what they'll do is they'll go on TV. You have no context for where they're coming from if you are the average viewer. And then they'll start argue, arguing that Bernie is too extreme and this is just why they, they act like this is widely held uh, a conventional belief. And they'll say, no, he's unelectable. He's too extreme. He's not well liked. We, we shouldn't elect him. And then they'll argue for somebody else. So this is another way that this system and these social circles in D.C. infect uh, how people think, infect the airwaves. And another way that this establishment uh, perpetuates itself through cable punditry. I, I cannot I cannot even uh, list all of the people that I see that I know work at like former Hillary organizations or the DNC or currently contracted by the DNC who go on. I see I, I know these people personally and they go on CNN and MSNBC and just bash Sanders. And I know at the same time they're consulting for the DNC. It's insane. Yeah. And they don't disclose that. <laughs> Or I mean, there is. But there's no establishment, layer. though. No there's right. another. There's right. another right. layer of this too, where I mean, you have the the interests of Comcast, uh, which lobbies the Republican Party as well as the Democratic Party, yeah. uh, uh, represented on the the media outlets that they own. 
uh i mean these are these are massive media conglomerates right and and of course they're gonna have lobbyists that work for comcast or people that do pr for comcast and other subsidiaries uh go on television and and uh, and and represent the interests of comcast which sometimes happens to align or more often than not happens to align with the interests of the democratic establishment that you were mentioning so they're not only just friends but they also are literally getting paid like every single person that you see in mainstream media uh the overwhelming majority of them have been paid or are currently getting paid by uh the the same corporations that bernie sanders is against and, and you uh, have in the, within that kind of like uh, inner circle, you also have the weapons manufacturers and the drug companies and the health insurance companies and the, all that, all that stuff. All that, their money is mixed in with that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe course. that they'd be against a guy who wants to uh, dismantle all those companies. Great. What a crazy coincidence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. So uh, another thing that I wanted to bring up, we, we talked a little bit about Warren, but I mean, we, we were talking about the contested convention within the New York, the New York times story. And a lot of the reason we're talking about Warren is because she gave this town hall, I think, last night. And there was this kind of viral clip where she's apparently uh, putting some Bernie bro in his place in her, like, a Professor McGonagall way or whatever whatever fucking character uh, it was supposed to be. Um, but so talking about her strategy of going into the contested convention and getting superdelegates and what she said, even though she got praised by all these online people for, for you know, being, being uh, never persisting or whatever it was. What she said was not actually accurate, was it? Because her strategy is not what Bernie was advocating for, and it's a completely different situation. Like, is that that's is that correct? Do you want? I I remember Jordan getting really angry about this on the timeline, so I was going to wait for him to <laughs> to say something, but I can get in on it if you Let want. Let Hassan go first. He's the guest. Okay. Yeah, Jordan was probably too busy tweeting again. It's fine. Uh, you know, you got to rack up that engagement. Am I right? I was DMing. Anyway. I was DMing. Okay. It's different. Okay, Jordan. Yeah, I I, I see that. I see the DM that you just sent to the group. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Um, now so you're exposing yes, our establishment inner circle. Oh, yeah. No, come on, man. It's, it's completely false. What Elizabeth Warren said is completely false. Uh, and it also, ironically, is not... Uh, it's not hypocritical of Bernie to have this position. It's literally hypocritical of Elizabeth Warren to have this position because she had the exact opposite opinion in 2016 where she yes. openly stated, or uh, in the past, even before that, and even after 2016, numerous occasions that whoever gets the most votes should win. This is the democratic process. It's absolutely preposterous that we do anything else outside of that. So she said that on numerous occasions. Um, she's also personally said, I'm a superdelegate, and I think that this is a, a terrible system and should not exist, which, of course, was Bernie Sanders' position as well in 2016. And what uh, Bernie surrogates and other uh, progressive members in the DNC fought for was to eradicate superdelegates in its entirety, a system that was designed uh, not that long ago uh, relative to the rest of the history of the Democratic Party exclusively so that the party could uh, pick uh, people like Dukakis uh, over the uh, or or uh, just whoever they thought was going to be better uh, for the interests of the establishment because uh, you know poor people don't know who to vote for they're stupid uh, that's and literally was that in why response to McGovern which they're all still traumatized by 50 years later Is yes that that's why well that's why you see you know that's why you see people like Chris Matthews still go back to you know uh, 72 over and over again uh, with flashbacks well one because his brain I think stopped. Uh, creating new memories after that time period <laughs> so that's all he can remember 
and and two because a lot of people just uh, are are still terrified of that um but uh, the consequences of that literally are the reason why we have the neoliberal democratic party that we currently have and also therefore trump as uh he he was able to take advantage of um the way that uh democrats concede on almost everything so um so what i was trying to say though with elizabeth warren going back to that sorry i love to drone on for no reason um elizabeth warren totally had a different position on this until it was favorable for her uh maybe in the most unrealistic (laughs) scenario i mean at this point it's like it's like tulsi gabbard being like yeah i I think we should have (laughs) uh we should have superdelegates choose uh and and not uh listen to the will of the people it's idiotic it completely destroys the electability argument because you're automatically putting forward a much weaker candidate you're destroying the democratic party uh it it will rip it apart uh and and that plurality of people that do not vote will become a majority of people who do not vote uh, a much larger majority of people who do not vote if this persists uh i think that the democrats know that i think that they don't care uh i think that they're interested in uh they're more interested in maintaining their positions of power than they are in defeating donald trump and this literally proves that because bernie is a larger threat to the established order that they've created in the democratic party than donald trump that's facts donald trump is good for fundraising you can act like you know he's too powerful and you can't really do anything you could throw your hands in the air and be like oh no we couldn't get any progressive legislation done too yeah great for the donor class deregulate industries uh, and and also, uh, you know, tax cuts for the wealthy and corporations. You're, you're, the market's doing great. Well, not right now, but the market was doing great. T- Trump is great. Trump is great for their corporate benefactors. He's not great for the American working class. But the Democratic Party does not care about the American working class. Yeah, there's been a long shift away from it. Uh, Chris yeah. Hedges details this in uh, Death of the Liberal Class. If you or looking for a good book to read, I would highly suggest it details how they abandoned unions, they abandoned work, the working class, or Ryan Graham, the labor sector. Oh yeah, Ryan's. We, we got, got people, people really directly, uh, <clears throat> directly tracks the uh, the the fundraising strategies shifting inside of the Democratic Party and how they moved over to Wall Street donors and how that and uh, how this effort was like spearheaded by Nancy Pelosi, the likes of Nancy Pelosi, Rahm Emanuel, and how they were able to drastically reconfigure the interests of the Democratic Party. Um, or uh, who their their donor base was basically and how that changed their legislation and and their legislative agenda yeah and if as it relates to warren we were talking about earlier uh this is just like another instance of her doing a 180 on things that she had formerly opposed or or stood for uh because it benefits her and this is a huge risk like we have to acknowledge the risk this would play if she if they do give her the nomination at the at the convention it's going to be so easy for Trump just to be like, oh, you're a flip flopper. You're, you're, you, you know, you're, you're flip like similar to what they did with with Clinton, with like uh, the TPP, like and also I think NAFTA at the yeah. end, like she did a yeah. 180 on that and he railroaded her and they don't care. Voters do not care that Trump is a fucking fraud and that he has flip flopped on no. everything. They do not care. He will he will railroad her with this stuff. It is so disastrous. And, and when it comes down to her her thoughts on <laughs> the popular vote when it comes down to her thoughts on super delegates she's flip-flopped on all of it now because or it stands to benefit her super packs as you mentioned in super packs yes oh jesus christ oh, yeah, yeah. 
<clears throat> that's terrible. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, you do that's not a separate thing, especially when you throw groups like Sunrise Movement, Our Revolution, tiny grassroots groups like that who bring in like small dollar contributions for funding when you throw them under the bus for a cheap talking point uh at a debate when you're like oh me and amy we don't take super PACs," and then turn around and cozy up to a an actual dark money super PAC that spends like eight hundred thousand dollars in your favor come the fuck on that is so disingenuous you should apologize to those groups like i'm sunrise sure she would i'm sure she would have said no to the sunrise foundation endorsement had it come her oh she they no, oh that's... they all wanted that endorsement they all wanted it they all thought <laughs> for it, and then as soon as they was, as soon as they went for bernie it's like oh this is a dark money group i hate them like yeah. come on that's so <laughs> that is that that is shady politics that's not progressive do not do that that's so shameful yeah, yeah. And, and i think talking about the whole super delegate thing too and comparing it to what happened in 2016 the main differences as i understand it were at the time the argument bernie was making was number one uh, I think the superdelegates should be awarded democratically. So the states that I won, I should get the superdelegates for that state and it should be a democratic process. And number two, he was saying, and this is a very legitimate thing, was that there's a possibility that Hillary Clinton is going to be indicted by the FBI. That was a that was a legitimate possibility. So he was saying, if she's indicted, we need to have a possible alternate solution there. Uh, and that was one of the reasons he was staying uh, in the race. So well, one to, of, the idea that it's like a completely comparable scenario or that or that Warren now is just doing what Sanders did in 2016, it's it's completely different. Like it's, it's it was really a, it was a two person race. Uh, it was a two person race. Bernie was polling better in the swing states that Hillary Clinton lost uh, than he won in the primaries of uh, that, that he had a, a more legitimate argument to uh, electability against Donald Trump. That was one that he consistently mentioned as well. But it doesn't matter. Because when Bernie Sanders ran for president, super PACs, I mean, uh, not super PACs, sorry, uh, uh, super delegates were a thing, okay? They were a legitimate thing that the Democratic Party had, and you had to play that game. And most of them were awarded to Clinton, like, before the primary. Immediately, 400 started. of them before the primaries even started were awarded to Hillary Clinton, and the media made sure that everybody knew that in every race, even if Bernie Sanders won, like, in New Hampshire by a super wide margin, um... They were like, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, Bernie Sanders is still losing. He has no pathway to victory from day one. Now, now this time around, there is a difference. Like we mentioned with uh, the likes of Nomi Konst and others fighting back uh, at, at, for democracy, for a more democratic process in trying to eliminate the super PACs got us to the brokered convention, second round super uh, super. Uh, why do I keep saying super PAC? Oh, Jesus Christ. Second <laughs> super round delicate. super delegate. Uh, second round superdelegate voting. Superdelegates are only activated in the instance where uh, no one reaches a majority in the first round, and then in the second round, in the in that uh, contested uh, or in the brokered convention, superdelegates will be able to vote and change the outcome. There's also going to be uh, like pledge delegates that uh, change voting as well, right? Like if you if you uh, point to let, let's say someone endorses another person in the race, uh, you can sway your pledge delegates to go and vote for that person as well right mm -hmm. if i'm not mistaken okay well sure <laughs> I don't okay all right that's well that's me. i mean i'm pretty sure that's how it's done i just wanted to make sure that okay well regardless oh yeah so, yeah no definitely it's my, okay to my expertise, i just wanted to yes. see if there was uh <laughs> the rules if you guys right were if i was wrong or something uh, and on a uh, minuscule part of the rules so um so the reason why we have the second round of of super delegates uh voting and not and not being active in the first round of voting 
is because of, like I said, the actions of Sanders campaigner, Sanders surrogates, and more progressive members in the DNC voting and fighting for it. They didn't want superdelegates uh, to uh, ever have a say in this process. But this was a concession that the DNC gave to the Sanders uh, campaign and the more progressive branch of the Democratic Party. So when Elizabeth Warren says these are the rules that Sanders changed and he wanted these rules, she's lying uh, and, and being a snake. But then again, as you mentioned already, she has gone back on, on she's gone back on her uh, her opinion on many different uh, things, whether it be the way that she wants to uh, push for Medicare for all, uh, making it uh, completely unrealistic in, in like span across uh, a potential Republican presidency will not happen it's basically the same as kamala harris's medicare for all proposal at that point um or whether it be her opinion on super uh, delegates or her opinion on super PACs, or uh whether it be the fact that she was interested in advancing her career by you know portraying herself as a native american woman so as much as i like elizabeth warren as a senator as a progressive senator as much as i followed her career with pride and was excited for her to even potentially run in 2015 um, Elizabeth Warren has shown time and time again that she is a one, a horrible campaigner, horrible, terrible instincts, uh, and two, more interested in progressing her personal career rather than the progressive agenda itself. Well, and this is something we've talked about this too, is that not long ago, she was basically a front runner in this race. She was leading the polls. And I think deservedly too, I think she was doing, uh, she was campaigning really well. And then she's talked lately about how, oh, I, I took on staffers from Kamala Harris and, and, and all these different campaigns that, that didn't work out. I took on everyone so we can all have this big unified team. And there's really like a direct correlation between her starting to take on these consultants and embrace this exact kind of like Democrat consultant class and her campaign just like completely tanking and her poll numbers tanking. Like there's a direct correlation. There, there's a huge shift in her campaign rhetoric, even over the past couple months. At the, uh, at the, at the onset... She was really. She played really nice with Sanders. Uh, they were. They were. There was. You know that they had that non-aggression yeah. pact, and things were great. And sure, I think the addition of campaign staff from other campaigns as they expanded, and also uh, just desperation, right? So the, you know, they're it's it's they need they're going all out now. There's been a huge shift, and a lot of factors definitely play into it. But like, I think it's going to leave a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths because you don't see that same type of aggression from Sanders. Every step, dude, she said Sanders' campaign was built on a foundation of hate. Yeah. How how are we supposed <laughs> to sympathize brutal. with that? That's not that's not an ally in a partisan in a in a progressive movement. What what is that? That is purely yeah. Clintonite uh, anti-Sanders rhetoric. So there's that. It's like these disingenuous uh, uh, Bernie bro smears. Uh, the, she said, she the, the said tweet the other day about how she, uh, Bernie and her both wanted to take on the banks, but she, only she put in the work and she did yeah. it. Yeah. How? What did you do? A toothless, a toothless uh, Dodd Frank? Like what? 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 He argued for you to go to the to, uh, Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. Like he was your ally in that fight. What? And it also plays into this mismindset that only one senator can do something which that's not how the legislature works so yeah. what what this just throwing him under the bus every chance she gets to quote differentiate between the two uh i mean i understand the objective but you're not doing it in a in a, in a responsible way and you're going to upset a lot of people who probably were like myself included were sympathetic to her at the beginning but now it's like why, yeah. why do you keep doing this 
Yeah, uh, terrible instincts, and and I think like the only thing she won't compromise on is her pathway to advancing her career. Like that's it. Um, outside of that, she she's just shown herself over and over again not to be an honest actor. Uh, the damn it. The other thing I wanted to mention there was another there was another thing that she said that was so frustrating. Oh, Bernie Sanders supporters are responsible. Uh, Bernie's responsible for everything their supporters do. Okay. Well, one of your supporters literally uh, shot their trans sister in uh, in Dayton. Okay, there you go. That's a mm-hmm. that's a hot take right there. It's a blistering hot take. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you don't even need to point to extreme examples like that. Like anytime I say something mean about Warren, I have a bunch of Warren supporters saying like, "Hey, f- fuck you. I don't like you." And it's like, yeah, that's what happens. That's what happens when you talk about this shit online. It's fine. You say say it all you want to me. I don't care. But one, just I just wanted the- to, before we move off this, I just wanted to do a little thought experiment here. And I know there's a certain extent to which these thought experiments are like pointless when you talk about like, uh, Trump, uh, Trump, uh, uh, peed on the Oval Office floor in front of the Ukrainian ambassador. Can you imagine if Obama did that, what the outcry would be? And everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, okay, you've, you've proved nothing with this. I understand that <laughs> to a certain level, but I just want people to just, I want to paint a little picture here for people. And if you're like, if you're someone who's still like a Warren supporter and maybe you're like hate listening to this or you want to understand where we're coming from, I just want to paint this little picture for you, okay? It's the alternate universe 2020, where let's say that that polling lead I was talking about from a few months ago never dissipated and Warren walked into the walked into the start of this primary as the favorite. She she squeaks out a win in uh, in Iowa, and I'm going to guess that in this version there's no weird fuckery and weird shit for some reason. That doesn't happen with her. Um, for whatever reason. So she squeaks out a, she squeaks out a win there. She wins New Hampshire again, fairly close, but wins goes into Nevada, completely runs the table, dominates everybody, organizes this huge coalition of working class, uh, multiracial people and immigrants and all these different groups, puts them together. She's doing these huge rallies. She's fundraising way more like lapping everyone in fundraising, except the most richest billionaire assholes. And so what's happening with Bernie, with Bernie Sanders camp while all this is going on. Uh, comes in third in Iowa, non-viable in New Hampshire, gets, gets fucking creamed in Nevada, like exclusively appealing to like, uh, uh, well-to-do white people who are not part of this big coalition, uh, non-viable there after this. So then at this point, he's just saying like, I'm the unity candidate. Yeah. I'm the one, I'm the only one that can actually bring people together. Uh, I'm staying in it to the convention because, you know, just cause I think that there's a possibility that that I'm going to just be handed the nomination in this fucked up contested process. That's I, I have acknowledged previously many, many times is like undemocratic. So w- this is when I ask you to and the potential like Warren supporters that are maybe still with me here that are pa- that have painted this picture. Uh, what is the reaction to Bernie saying these things uh, from the media, from, from the very Warren supporters that are, that are encouraging this kind of stuff? What's the reaction? Do they say, Oh yeah, well he's got a point and you know, we should be, well, I guess we're just going to go along with that. Is it, like I don't think that that's what would people would say. Uh, I think the reaction for one re- for whatever reason would be slightly different uh, if this was if the shoe was on the other foot here. Um, but again, I may, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just being a, a misogynist or whatever on on Maine. <laughs> I mean, you don't need to look too far to see what the reaction from the Warren supporters are. If Bernie potentially was saying like like you know we need to continue with the undemocratic process of superdelegates, they're already saying that Bernie said this in 2016 and using that to justify their point of view. So yeah, they, I just, 
I don't know. Yeah, and the reality uh, is people would lose their fucking minds over this. Yeah, That's I, the I reality. Mean, and anyone okay. anyone paying attention has to acknowledge that. Whether you support Warren or Bernie or whoever, you know full well that if you if you're supporting Warren and what she's currently doing right now, you, yes, you, the person listening to this, would be losing your goddamn mind <laughs> if this was the alternate universe where, where that I'm painting, where Bernie Sanders is the one doing this and Elizabeth Warren is walking away with the nomination. You would be absolutely losing I mean, it. You know I'm right. I yeah, know I'm course. right. Everyone I mean, knows I'm look, right. That's look the at the examples. Look at the examples. You just you Jordan mentioned that as well. Like uh, Elizabeth Warren says, Bernie's campaign is built on a foundation of hate, and <laughs> no one bats an eye. Everyone's like, yeah, that's pretty right. Thank you, Elizabeth Warren, for the <laughs> your really incredibly correct take. Bernie Sanders uh, is considered divisive, even though he refuses to attack anyone else, which is incredibly frustrating to me. Uh, one of his biggest super fans. Okay, I'm a simp. I'm a Bernie simp. I'm his pay pig. <laughs> he fin doms me every day, and I love it. Okay, I love every moment of it. But the thing yeah. that frustrates me more than anything else is that he does not push back aggressively enough in a clever and and snarky fashion. Because these guys want reality TV, so you got to give them a little bit of reality TV. And Bernie's not doing that, and it's frustrating. But and and they're still calling him divisive. So it doesn't matter. I mean. Perfect example. Look at the Daily Beast article that got that low-level field uh, organizer yes. fired because he had a private account where he was, uh, you know, being a sassy Twitter gay. Okay, which is because he said like he wants to see Hillary Clinton get shot off the earth by a catapult. Yeah, which was great. All of his tweets were incredibly funny. Okay, uh, some of them were very edgy, but they were very funny tweets. Okay, Ben Mora, uh, you're welcome to come on. If you listen to this show, you're welcome to come on my show any day of the week that you want. They did nothing uh, wrong. Yeah, like they, they, they got a queer activist, like a poor queer activist, fired from a campaign that is like more pro-LGBT than any other campaign that's running right now, including Pete Buttigieg, okay? Like Bernie Sanders, whether you'd like to admit it or not, has a longer track record in fighting for LGBT activism than all of those candidates combined. I mean... Two of them were Republicans until, you know, Michael Bloomberg not that long ago and Elizabeth Warren was a Republican when Bernie Sanders was championing gay rights. So During the age, AIDS crisis. Yeah, during the AIDS crisis. So, like, <laughs> give me a goddamn break, okay? Uh, they, they got a queer activist fired from a, from a pro-LGBT campaign for making jokes. Meanwhile, Michael Bloomberg, a Republican, has hired, like, a Twitter executive to run his digital media marketing, and they're saying that, like, Bernie is gay for Putin on their main account. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the hell, man? Unreal. If Could you imagine if Bernie posted something about, like, literally anybody else with a homophobic insinuation? Yeah. It would be, dude, they'd be, they, he'd be fucking, like, hung already. Yeah, if, that's if, what if I mean, he says like, something like, imagine, like, Bernie's, like... To a certain extent, these thought experiments are stupid because we all know that there's a completely different yeah. set of standards and rules that apply to him that just don't apply to everyone else. Right. I'm just, I'm just imagining Bernie be like... <laughs> Michael Bloomberg, how does Xi Jinping's dick taste? Huh? Does it taste good? Dude, it would be, oh, the media cycle would last like a month, a month straight. It just like would never shut up about Bernie it. Bernie needs to drop out for his xenophobia and homophobia and also anti-Semitism for attacking uh, the only Jewish candidate running for president. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Bernie doesn't count. Yeah, Bernie doesn't count. He's, he's I can't believe that that Israel question that they only asked him. Like, that is insane. Like, insinuating that he's not Jewish enough because he uh, has a different view uh, on, on Palestinian rights than, like, AIPAC. Insane. I mean, it's, it's a mask-off moment. Again, it's like a totally mask-off moment where it's like... I mean, every article that you read on this is, is, is like, 
even in the recaps, they would say like Bernie got attacked for not being sufficiently pro-Israel enough. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck? Just change that country to any other country and you'll notice how insane that sounds. Yeah. Bernie yep. got attacked on the debate stage for not being sufficiently uh, pro-Hungary enough. It's like, what are you even <laughs> saying? It's okay, so bizarre. There's, there's one more thing I wanted to bring up here, Asan, because I know you have to get going soon, So, but I wanted to get your take on this. Because this goes along with what you're talking about, about the debate and the other thing that he's being attacked for, uh, both in the debate and online and, and elsewhere in the media, is this like red baiting shit. He said like he praised Fidel Castro's uh, literacy program in, in Cuba, and people were acting like, including people in the Democrat, like Pete Buttigieg, is acting like this is like this terrible outrage that he that he had that he uh, you know um, praised the the highly successful, like objectively successful uh, healthcare program and literacy program in Cuba during the revolution. And one thing that I find kind of interesting about this is because he's not really backing down on it. And that that gets me excited as someone who really I got kind of more pulled into the left because of foreign policy and imperialism and stuff like this. And I think that's I mean, there's no better time than now to have that conversation about the United States decades long, blood soaked, brutal foreign policy uh, legacy that Bernie has been against for his whole career. Right. And so when people try to criticize him for, oh, you're caught, you're supporting dictators, you're supporting authoritarianism because you said one nice thing about Castro in like 1986, where the United States has been propping up authoritarian dictators all over the world for fucking decades with massive, massive, like, like uh, body counts under the, under their, under their uh, names, you know, they're Dude, doing it right even, now. We're doing in genocide Arabia. in Yemen. Saudi Arabia is doing yeah. genocide right now in Yemen with American arms. Michael Bloomberg literally had a, a, a Starbucks a Frappuccino photo shoot with MBS when he came in here. <laughs> Thomas yeah. Friedman, that same dude who's crying all over mainstream media right now, begging the Democratic Party and DNC insiders to, to finally stop Bernie Sanders because he's so afraid that he's going to lose Donald Trump. I'm like, shut the fuck up, Thomas Friedman. Anyway, uh, he also wrote praising articles of mbs these guys are all from the wonk class all the way to the politicians running uh all the way to the politicians on that stage are all like they've all conceded to actual brutal dictators and bernie sanders has a nuanced take on cuba he has a nuanced take on nicaragua and he mentions it time and time again and they're just acting uh, totally acting in bad faith and i think that uh it, it kind of opens up a weak uh spot for them to be honest with you shows this obvious flaw like especially yeah. because bernie uh, had said the exact same things about cuba that obama had said that like when you have the ladies of the view uh side by side when uh, barack obama went to cuba praising the cuban literacy programs and praising barack obama for being so open-minded and then attacking bernie sanders and comparing what he said about cuba to hitler uh <laughs> it's great it, it, i mean that's like it's not getting any play in mainstream media for obvious reasons but i think it's a good way to show a lot of people especially uh, on the edges on the precipice of radicalization that like look this system is completely broken dude and these people are not your fucking friends and and they don't care and they'll do anything and they'll say anything to make sure that the established order continues the way it does um and and more often than not it's at the cost of uh you getting health care so yeah. Uh, the, it's, it's what, deeply frustrating, but that's the one silver lining, I think, maybe. I liked Al Sharpton's comments yesterday uh, at the National Action Network breakfast in South Carolina. 
um, before yeah. he, he introduced everybody, all the presidential candidates came and spoke, and it's a pretty ritualistic thing. But before Sanders got up, he pointed out, like, look, he's been subject to a ton of red scare and red baiting tactics. I want you all to remember how they talked about Martin Luther King and how they tried to do the same stuff with the civil rights movement. They tried to call him a communist. They tried to smear him. Like, do not fall for this. And we've seen this with the civil rights movement. We see it with, like, liberation theology when it pops up in South America. Uh, the same power brokers who pretend to be defenders of the working class and the disadvantaged and the poor will label you uh, a communist and try to scare people away from us from sympathizing with you if you, you know, if you advocate for the working class. And there's a quote that uh, I can't remember who said it. it was a, it was a Brazilian priest who was really a staunch advocate of liberation theology. And Ken Klippenstein says it all the time. It's if I feed the poor, they call me a saint. If I ask why they're poor, they call me a communist. And it's important to remember that like these smears are ultimately to prevent you from recognizing the actual cause of the problem. They want you to treat everything with a Band-Aid or just address symptoms here and there. They don't want you to get to the actual root of the problem. So these are deflection points, and they're trying to do it now with Sanders because he's so close to getting people to recognize the real root of the problem, which is greed and corruption. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a good place to leave it. Well said, Jordan. I guess we got to let Hassan get to his big like Hollywood lifestyle stuff. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> yeah, of course. Right yeah, my big Hollywood lifestyle stuff where I broadcast uh, the exact same things that I just talked to you guys about for eight to ten hours from to my 16 living room year olds. to to yeah my my overwhelmingly sixteen to eighteen year old audience. Uh, yeah, that's the that's the big Hollywood uh, glamour baby. Yeah, that's me. Uh, shout out to Hassan's chat. Love, I love that group. Yeah, yeah. and you can find that uh, at Twitch at twitch.tv slash Hassanabi. That's twitch.tv slash H-A-S-A-N-A-B-I. I'm live every day after 1 p.m. Pacific usually. And on the weekends, I will be flying all around the country uh, following uh, Bernie Sanders like a deadhead, basically, uh, <laughs> and, and talking to the people in different areas, door knocking, canvassing, working with and cooperating with the camp, uh, not the campaign, but cooperating with the DSA uh, chapters. So uh, that's really exciting stuff. Uh, I just I needed to do some plugs, right? I mean, that's why yeah. I came on here. Obviously, that's right. Yeah, yeah. To reach our global audience. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, thanks, Hassan. We we appreciated talking to you, man. It was great. Uh, take care. Thanks, thanks for Hassan. having me, guys. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at InsurgentsPod. Tweet at us, harass Ken in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. <laughs>